MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 103 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, January 11th. I'm your host, Allison Gill. With me, as always, the intrepid, amazing, incredible, <laughs> fantastic, real-life lawyer, real-life friend, Andrew Torres. How are you, Andrew? <laughs> I was waiting for you to run out of adjectives. Uh, <laughs> vertical, carbon-based. <laughs> <laughs> and biggest fan of Optimus Prime. Yeah, well, that's true, too. Uh, I'm fantastic. How are you doing, Allison? Uh, I'm doing well today, and uh, we have a lot of information uh, that we're going to talk about today. Yes, including we do. <laughs> what's going on with the special grand jury down in Georgia? Uh, <laughs> there's no golden fiddle, uh, but there is uh, Satan. <laughs> so, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, it's going to be a great show. I'm really excited about this. I have a couple questions. Um, All right. <laughs> about it, as 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 I often do, uh, questions that will need to be unpacked in multi parts uh, and multi layers. So uh, I look forward to starting this. But first, we need to thank our new patrons. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call out a couple here, uh, and then you can call out a couple. And uh, if you want to become a patron and get a shout out. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash aisle45pod, that's A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D, and become a patron for as little as a buck an episode. It's awesome. You will love it. And for two bucks an episode, you get these, you get twice as many episodes. Yeah, so, you get the secret bonus episode uh, for free. For you know, free. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to pay for that one. And uh, we had a really good one, a fun one this past weekend. <laughs> so it's, it's good. So a big shout out to our new patrons this week, Tom Licht, Gabby. Carolyn Hunter, Dan Poirier, Suzanne, Justin Bryant, Judith Myers. And a big thank you to Anne Zachritz, Kathleen Brisbois, Brisbois, uh, I'm doing my best here, Kristen Young, Dave Pivato, Andre Ian, Terry Johnson, and Dwayne Northey. Thank you all so much. That's patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. And we'll, you type it, we'll read it. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Anything you type, <laughs> we will read. <laughs> we have. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is fun. It's a fun game. Um, so let's kick this off. We know now for the past six months that Fonnie Willis impaneled a special grand jury in Georgia. It's a little bit different down in Georgia than it is in the federal system <laughs> in that they have a special grand jury to do investigations and subpoenas, and then they have to go back to a regular grand jury to bring charges. We've known now for a couple months they've been beefing up security and been starting their report protocols to finalize their report. 
they have interviewed such big, incredible, important names as Lindsey Graham, Michael Flynn, um, Mark Meadows. She got Mark Meadows down there to testify. She won all of her battles in court. They tried to stop the testimony from happening in a lot of these cases. She targeted Rudy Giuliani and she targeted, I think, 11 um, fraudulent electors from Georgia, one that she couldn't um, go after and investigate. They, they, she, you know, the office can investigate, but she couldn't personally because she held a fundraiser for that person's opponent. And so uh, the judge said, no, 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 bad idea. Uh, and we have a hearing now scheduled uh, coming up on January 24th, just 13 days from now. And that hearing is to decide whether or not the findings of the special grand jury are going to become public and talk a little bit about Andrew my big question of the day what's in this report everything <laughs> wow uh so much to unpack there uh so let me start back over at the beginning um you listed almost all of the heavy hitters that that appeared before the uh Fannie Willis's special purpose grand jury uh you I would add to that Jenna Ellis, who initially tried to dodge, and of course everybody's favorite scumbag, and uh, my choice to to flip and start singing like a fucking canary, John Eastman. We know you listen to to my shows, so uh, you're you're listening now, and and congratulations, like the noose is tightening around your neck, motherfucker. So, ooh, um, we got yeah. a motherfucker out of Andrew. Yeah, it, it, I I hate that guy. <laughs> so. Yeah, he's a weaselly dude. Yeah, uh, and he he he's a he's a fucking seditious. He's, he's the chief intellectual architect of the one six uh, uh, insurrection he is the brains behind the sedition and uh as i suspected he was also dumb enough to put into writing you know well you know as long as we've done a little bit of light criming what's some heavy criming now <laughs> and 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 as i said when that January 6th email turned up, there is no doubt in my mind that if he said it on January 6th, he would have said similar things in December. And uh, and we now know, thanks to the January 6th committee, that uh, indeed he advised Trump and others, hey, you know, this scheme is full of shit, right? But we're mm -hmm. going to continue to do it anyway. So I, I love this. You think um, he's going to flip, huh? You think I he's think, not just going to plead the gonna fifth and flip try to like that? Billy Bass mounted thing on the wall that was popular 20 years ago. Remember that thing that would sing and yeah. Um, now look like he just would be because and this cannot go unstated, right? I have been focused on John Eastman for the past year and a half because of his role as uh, the intellectual architect of the January 6th insurrection. I was focused on him in 2016 because he is a big racist piece of shit, too. And he wrote an article that was uh, picked up in Newsweek and other sources arguing that Kamala Harris, born in Oakland, California, was ineligible to serve as vice president mm. because she was not a natural born American citizen. And... Um, if you're thinking, gosh, why would somebody born in Oakland not be a natural born American citizen? Um, maybe you're blind and have not seen Kamala Harris. Uh, so John Eastman, uh, lifelong, well, I don't know, lifelong, maybe he was a, a really nice child, but um, <laughs> his his public adult life has been him being a racist piece of shit and the chief insurrection, chief 
brain trust, quote unquote, behind the uh, one six insurrection. So uh, I can't wait for him to go to prison Um, now. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the special purpose grand jury. And we begin with John Eastman's favorite amendment to the Constitution, the Fifth Amendment, because while you might be thinking, oh, yeah, take fire at the Fifth Amendment. That's that thing that says, uh, you know, you 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 can't be compelled to testify against yourself nor be deprived of life, liberty or property without due process of law. Um, that That's actually the second half of the Fifth Amendment. The first half says no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. And I love even though we're talking about a state proceeding here, I love talking about this because this is one of my favorite bits of constitutional trivia. And it has to do with incorporation. Right. And. Our listeners know, I, I know you know what incorporation is, Allison, but, but just in case we picked up some new ones uh, over the past couple of weeks, um, incorporation is the doctrine via the 14th Amendment that applies the protection of the Bill of Rights to the states. And we incorporate out those provisions of the bill. That, that's why the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. But you can bring a First Amendment claim against your state legislature, even though they're not Congress, because that's been incorporated out to the states by virtue of the 14th Amendment's due process clause. So. The important thing to know here is those provisions were incorporated out on a case by case basis. For example, the Second Amendment was not incorporated out to the states explicitly until a case called McDonald versus Chicago in 1997. Right. And one of the provisions of the Bill of Rights that has never been incorporated out to the states is that first half of the Fifth Amendment that says you can only be held to answer for a capital offense or otherwise infamous offense, serious crime if you are on a presentment or indictment of the grand jury. And the reason for that is in the 18th century, it was thought that grand juries were significant protectors of individual liberty, right? You couldn't just get a prosecutor, you know, have a wild hair. You, know, you had this mechanism of citizens that was meant to restrain the acts of prosecutors. In the 20th century, we have that, you know, infamous phrase, I can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. And there was a significant amount of legal debate as to whether a grand jury was a substantive right at all. And so the 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 decision was made sort of at a, at a conscious level among, you know, sort of by and among the nation's judiciary to kind of let the states figure out how to protect you uh, as a would be criminal defendant. If they wanted to use grand juries, great. If they wanted not to, that would also be great. So not every state has a grand jury system. Georgia does. And Georgia has a grand jury system that seems kind of weird, but actually hark it, it seems weird because it harkens back to that 18th century conception. And you notice I see you smiling. Our listeners can't that that language is in the Fifth Amendment unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. Well, this is what we're talking. We're talking about that first part. The presentment is what the special purpose grand jury is has issued here uh, in this particular investigation of Donald Trump. And that's because federal grand juries used to do the same thing mm. that Fonnie Willis's grand jury has done here. And that is investigate public corruption. And when you investigate public corruption, you issue a report and that report 
is called a presentment. So as always, that was, you know, seven minutes of answering to <laughs> one third of a question. But um, I, I, I really wanted to kind of share that out. The the we've sort of come full circle by Georgia kind of picking back up the the public investigation function that has faded away from uh, our federal grand jury system. Yeah. So the very Fifth Amendment that these people invoked <laughs> during yeah. that grand jury hearing, they're in that special purpose grand jury because of the first part of the Fifth Amendment. So <laughs> so, yeah, I love it. Yeah, We'll call it the circle of fifths. <laughs> for all those music nerds out there there we go i'll hold a little baby lion up it'll be fantastic so so now the question is there's a georgia statute and in my eyes it's written pretty plainly it this is this is cited in the judge's order and that is georgia code 15-12-80 and it says in its entirety Grand juries are authorized to recommend to the court the publication of the whole or any part of their general presentments and to prescribe the manner of publication. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. Sentence number two, when the recommendation is made, the judge shall order the publication as as recommended. And then sentence three, reasonable charges, therefore, shall be paid out of the county treasury upon the certificate of the judge as other court expenses are paid. So this, okay, is, so, this is Fulton County's rules on presentment yeah this is the the georgia state rules okay georgia state so it sounds to me like it's up to the grand jury how much of this or if any of this report they want to have made public and is it up to the people of the grand jury the jurors or can the da say don't make it public or how's that work yeah it is up to the individuals serving on the grand jury itself and again remember that's because it, in some ways, this presentment function is kind of the opposite of an indictment, right? Like when you were talking about indicting a private person, that's all the reasons, you know, innocent until proven guilty, that grand jury testimony is kept confidential, not disclosed to the public. We want utmost protection for the individuals who are involved, who are potentially about to be indicted because of that longstanding belief. Presentment is about public corruption. And so when you're when you're done at the end, then it is up to the, the members of the grand jury themselves to say, hey, um, we think we found a thing here that's really, really important and we want people to know about it. So we want to recommend that our report be published. And in this case, this grand jury did so certify. And the way in which I read 15-12-80 and the way, the, the way in which uh, Judge McBurney, who issued this order, appears to read it is, quote, that provision is mandatory. The judge shall order the publication as recommended. Right. Our regular listeners here know shall is the mandamus word. Right. right. No discretion. That means if you do not publish this, I can go to another court and I can get a writ of mandamus that says, no, you you have no discretion. The jury voted and you have to publish this thing. And did and, the grand jury say they wanted to release the report in its entirety? Do we know that yet? Yeah, it, it says in the same, just the, the prior sentence says the special purpose grand jury certified that it voted to recommend that its report be published pursuant to OCGA 15-12-80. So, so how do you get around, and I'm going to throw another question in there yeah, before yeah, yeah. you even finish answering the other one. <laughs> how do you get it. around that old constitution that says 
it, you can't really accuse people of crimes without giving them the right to face their accusers. Remember the whole Mueller thing where he was like, I can't even say he obstructed justice. I can say I can't, uh, you know, like exonerate him from having obstructed justice, but it would be unconstitutional for me to say, accuse him of obstruction of justice without being able to indict. And, and that's exactly the issue that sort of remains unresolved. And here's what judge McBurney has said about that. Unresolved is the question of whether that special purpose grand jury's final report constitutes a presentment, right? Because remember, if it constitutes a presentment, then then that's it. You know, you you need not. All the media outlets are reporting that at the conclusion of this, you then take the special purpose grand jury's findings and go to a regular grand jury and get an indictment. That would be the ordinary course if this presentment if this final report counts as a presentment, you don't need to do that, right? You you have a presentment that works the same legal effect as having indicted someone. So this judge has said, I don't I don't know whether that <laughs> that's the case. And and your question is one of the issues that will be briefed. So the court invites that oral argument that you've described beginning on January 24th at noon. Uh, and boy, <laughs> will we be attending that? The district attorney's mm. office shall be given an opportunity at that time to provide its perspective, as will any consolidated media intervenors. Arguments should focus on the applicability of that statute that I read to you in its entirety to the special purpose grand jury's work, as well as the precedential impacts of a number of cases. OK, and I've I've read these cases and and basically um, these are the line of cases in which uh, the Georgia appellate courts have sort of tried to figure out the the the, the delineation between what the special purpose grand jury is doing <laughs> and what other grand juries do. Um, and that that is look, I I don't want to I don't want to to soft sell this. It's kind of a mess, <laughs> right? So uh, for example, there is a there's a decision. There's a 2011 decision. By the way, this one is not cited in the order, and I think deliberately so. This is one that um the uh, Mark Meadows and others relied upon in trying to hold out and not appear before the the, the special purpose grand jury. Um, and that decision is called Kennerly versus State. And uh, yeah, first paragraph in presenting an issue of first impression, we are called upon to determine whether a special purpose grand jury like this is is authorized to return a criminal indictment. We hold that it is not and therefore reverse on the proceedings below. Now, <laughs> That's true, but only in a very, very limited sense, right? It's not authorized to return a criminal indictment. That does not mean the proposition for which this case has been cited, including in various Georgia cases, that what the work that the special purpose grand jury is doing is entirely civil, right? Because a presentment is not civil work. Right. So it it, it is, I say all of that to say that, you know, one of the things that tends to contribute to kind of the yo-yoing of, of the mood of our audience and others out there who want to see justice done is whenever a question is complicated and you can't just kind of rush to a simple answer, they're going to issue a presentment and that presentment will involve Donald Trump being brought up on criminal charges. Um, 
it's it's not quite that simple. And whenever it's not quite that simple, there's always the tendency to be like, oh, see, to yo-yo to the other end and be like, ah, I told you he'll never face any consequences for anything ever because, you know, it's Trump and he gets away with everything. And um, and that should that 100 percent should not be your takeaway uh, from from today's events. Well, they've always had this special purpose grand jury sitch. So what have they done in the past? Uh, like it, within the 2015 RICO school examination case, did they put out a presentment and then go to a special gra- or go to a regular grand jury to get an indictment? And can Fonnie Willis indict before January 24th? So gr- gr- great questions. Let's let's tackle them both. The, the first in the 2015 RICO cases, they followed the ordinary course. That is, there was no presentment. There was no public report. And uh, Fonnie Willis, sorry, and and the uh, district attorney at that time simply took the findings and dropped them on the desk of a, a, a regular grand jury and pursued indictments in that fashion. And, you know, we haven't even talked about all of that, but like that, that is the, an additional function of the special purpose grand jury is to, to be utilized as information gathering in very, very complex single issue cases. So, you know, the regular grand juries in uh, Fulton County throughout Georgia are impaneled only for two months, right? And this, this jury did its job for eight months, um, so, you know, there there are all of those investigative reasons and functions to use the special purpose grand jury. So answer that first question is, uh, yeah, they followed the ordinary course. They used its information gathering purposes and then went out and specifically dropped that paper <laughs> on a grand jury and said, here, uh, we want an indictment. And uh, that gets to the second question. Could Fannie Willis do that? Absolutely, she could do that. There's no way she's going to try and do that and get out in front uh, of what looks like a very friendly judge. And I say, I mean, friendly, not in the sense of being anti-Trump, but in the sense of looking at this situation and saying, uh, okay, there are some sticky issues and we we want to openly hear from the interested parties, including the district attorney's office. You don't you know, you wouldn't stick your thumb in the eye of a judge who's behaving that way. Right. So There's no need to get around this one. The most likely outcome here is that everyone will brief their cases. There'll be hearings and then that report will not be made public and a regular grand jury will bring indictments. Or oh, I think the report will be made. Pub- I mean, that's the way I read with the charging 15, decisions. 1280. Um, I don't know what's in the report, so I can't tell you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm assuming that the decisions of whether to charge people or not, recommendations for charges would be in that report. I I assume so. Um and it will be and, and and I what adds to my confidence of that is you would not as a grand jury vote to say we want to make this report public if the report was just like, you know, well, nothing to see here. Move along. Right? <laughs> yeah, true. So, yeah, that's I, I, I think that's absolutely correct. But I just want to be 100 percent clear that, you know, we don't. We've we've walked into sort of speculation town the moment we do that. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's just so many, like you said, there's some sticky issues. And but it's this, they've always had this. How how come? I guess I'm just confused as to how they haven't worked this shit out by now. This has been their system forever. <laughs> well, it, it it is. But that's because 
most of the time this special purpose grand jury has been used for the investigative investigative functions right rather than the public corruption investigative functions and so you 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 haven't had quite the same level of overlap in terms of the special purpose grand jury reports and that's really where we're getting into does the report constitute a presentment and if it does you know then you know how does that interface with uh the the rest of the constitution and um it, it's it's super interesting right um yeah. but, it, but for example right like it, it is not clear to me right i i, I mentioned that kennerly versus state uh case it is not clear to me that prior to that decision that the special purpose grand jury could not itself issue an indictment. Again, remember that decision is 2011 and that's the Georgia court of appeals, right? Like that's not their state Supreme court. And it was only 11 years ago, you know, (laughs) that, uh, somebody asked the question, Hey, can you issue indictments? Um, and, uh, the, the the answer I think most lawyers would have thought was uh, under 15-12-102, it says that special purpose grand juries are vested with all of the powers and duties of regular grand juries unless provided otherwise by statute, right? And the statute doesn't say you can't issue indictments. It just says nothing, right? And so, right. Yeah. So everybody just kind of thought like, okay, well, it it doesn't prohibit you. One oh two says you can do anything unless we say you can't. So can you issue indictments? Went all the way up to the Georgia Court of Appeals and the the Georgia Court of Appeals relied on a canon of statutory interpretation. Right. Not not history, not tradition, not another case, not another law. But they just said, you know, if. If we list, if you create a thing and you give it a bunch of powers, anything that in, let's say we establish a committee, right? And we say the committee shall have the power to, to convene and to adjourn, to issue subpoenas, uh, and to, um, you know, order out for lunch, right? Um, this, there's a, there's a canon of statutory construction. I'm not going to read you the Latin because you know me in Latin. Uh, that that says in an enumerated list, anything that's not specifically on the list is to be considered deliberately omitted. Right. So in the, in my example there, they would not be allowed to order for dinner. Right. Because you'd say, well, right. look, it says you can order for lunch. And if they wanted you to order out for dinner, they would have said order out for dinner. And that was the basis. It's not a great decision. Right? <laughs> like That was the basis in that Kennerly versus state case for. Uh, the Georgia Court of Appeals going, well, you know, if they had the power to issue an indictment, then it would have said so in the statute. It doesn't say so in the statute. So therefore, we're going to construe this as not having the power to issue indictments, even though this special purpose grand jury has existed for 300 years in the state of Georgia. That question didn't come up until 11 years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, when you say, how come these things, didn't, you know, sometimes these things don't come up for a long, long time. But how can you say that 
The, you know what? I'm going to ask this <laughs> after a break because okay. I'm, I'm a little confused, but we need to take a break. So let's do that. Everybody, we'll be right back. Okay, so right before the break, I was about to ask you a question because I am don't understand. Like I can't get my head around this. How is it omitting the power to indict when it says you have the full power of a regular grand jury? And I... indictment is part of that thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so... I, I... So when I say uh, I I don't think the case is great, um, that that that's one of the reasons why I don't think the case is great. So what's um, this? What is this going to look like, though, for us lay people? I mean, are they going to release the report with the charging if there's charging decisions in it with the charging decisions? And then she's going to take the ministerial step of going to a regular grand jury to actually get the indictments? My guess is that that's exactly how it will happen. And that is the, the, the proverbial belt and suspenders approach to the law, right? Like, And then if you the, have the argument that you didn't, you know, you accused me of a crime without an indictment, even though there was like a couple of weeks in there that, you know, before I got one and you eventually did, does, does getting an indictment resolve that constitutional argument that you have yes, a right to face absolutely. your accusers? absolutely. Yeah, because you will have a separate determination from a grand jury with the power to hand down indictments evaluating those facts. And assuming that they wouldn't be able to indict you for things that weren't recommended, um, or the grand jury could maybe not indict for everything. They don't have to follow what the special grand jury says, do they? No, that's right. But remember that now we are we are before a regular grand jury. And this is, you know, the same jury that you can get to indict a ham sandwich because the presentation is one sided. Right. But Fonnie Willis can pick she can take sections of this report if she wants. Right. Like she could literally put whatever she wants to in front of that grand jury to procure an Mm. indictment. So. I, I love the ham sandwich. I want to get my friend Andy McCabe a shirt that says not a ham sandwich <laughs> because the grand jury didn't bring, you know, he that was actually he, he had a right to a grand jury and, and they didn't indict him. So I think that that's I, really I, interesting. I, I love it. We we had um, veteran NFL punter and uh, uh, LGBTQ activist uh, Chris Cluey on the show. Me and, too. Uh, I had Chris yeah, Cluey on the beans. And, well, and so he... Um, showed up uh, in a t-shirt that says punters are people too. It was given to him by Rich Eisen. So uh, yeah, no, we got Chris is a, Chris is a great dude. And uh, that's, <laughs> I, I don't know why you're not a ham sandwich reminded me of the punters are people too, but um, it's a great shirt. Yeah, I love Chris Cluey. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. He's a good dude. Yeah, he is. How fun. All right. So um, we've already drilled down on how a presentment, could be an indictment, but probably isn't because of a case that happened 11 years ago, because after 300 years, somebody finally asked the question. We've already discussed what is probably going to look like. We've already discussed how you can put a presentment forward that accuses people of crimes or recommends criminal charges and have it not violate your constitutional right to face your accuser if an indictment follows it up. Yep. Uh, I, and it seems like I'm not going to say that it is, but it seems like the going to get the regular grand jury to issue indictments is pretty much that I don't think they would disagree 
or or not indict in some cases. Because where I was going with that is, oh, what if they don't indict one of these guys and we have now accused him of a crime? Can he sue? Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know what that. Yeah. Looks and like, you would it, it, you would very clearly have uh, a judicial immunity in, in connection with, you know, the the. Could he sue an individual member of that grand jury? No, because you were acting under color of state law when you issued that report. And that's a that's an extension. I, I, I will tell you, it's a great question, because although it's pretty cut and dried in the special purpose grand jury context, um, the, those sorts of issues come up all the time when you have private enterprises that perform public functions. Right. And so think about and, and, and uh, there are a ton of these the cases that are out there in lots of jurisdictions where you have, you know, a volunteer fire department that acts as the fire department in a particular locality. And then they release the results of an internal investigation. And then the question is, you know, can you FOIA request that stuff? Right. Is that a public document where, you know, it's just the firehouse, right? It's it's Ken and Steve and Joe sitting around going mm -hmm. like, gosh, the problem with sticking Brad on the truck is that he's drunk half the time. Right. <laughs> and and these are real cases. And, you know, and you can sort of see both sides of it. Right. That mm -hmm. where you're like Brad would kind of like not to have a, a government FOIA request return a document that, uh, you know, suggests that there's an official finding that he's drunk. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, you know, that the at the same time, like, you know, you have to run your firehouse. So uh, not not a hard question here, but um, but but those are, you know, real legal conflicts. So. Yeah. And, and also speaking of real legal conflicts with drunk firemen. George Santos has uh, been hit by the FEC uh, with a referral for his uh, campaign finance violations and the, quote, astounding number of $199.99 charges. We also know he's under uh, Nassau DA criminal investigation for what we, we aren't quite sure. I'm assuming it's campaign finance and Eastern District of New York over there in Brooklyn and Brazil. So... Lots going on with this fella. Um, let's 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 talk a little bit about um, what we learned today. And I think it was CBS News. I'll bring up the story here, and I can read uh, a little bit from uh, from the lead. Uh, newly sworn in congressman will begin his first week in facing a formal ethics complaint filed with the Federal Elec Elections Commission. In a civil complaint filed Monday with the agency and reviewed by CBS, the nonprofit Campaign Legal Center accused Santos, a Republican from New York, of illegally using campaign funds for personal expenses, including for apartment rental and for submitting false information about both the source of his campaign donations and his campaign expenses. OK, so that explains it. This is a civil um, matter, a complaint filed with the Federal Elections Commission. Yeah, that that's right. And with all of the caveats that uh, apply to our broken FEC and you and I have talked about this and I did a deep dive on opening arguments about uh, how Trump through neglect uh, deliberately sabotaged the FEC so that uh, his campaign could get away with. Uh, hundreds of millions, perhaps billions in uh, obvious campaign uh, fraud and and other uh, campaign finance uh, violations. So 
that's a problem. Biden still hasn't fixed it. Whether that's going to apply in this case all the way down, I don't know whether Biden is going to fix it and get a majority of Democrats finally uh, on the FEC. Uh, You know, I don't know. Um, He's certainly going to have a lot more time in this in this 118th Congress that, uh, you know, you're not going to get any help out of the Republican House of Representatives passing bills. So, you know. Maybe we can double and triple down on making sure that the executive uh, uh, branches uh, work properly. So this is a complaint, a civil complaint filed by the Campaign Legal Center, which is a 501c3 nonprofit uh, before the FEC. This is the kind of stuff that they do. Uh, They police election behavior um, and have been doing so for two decades. So, you know, this is not... uh, these these are not crazy people. These are not, you know, like our Trump Kraken lawyers. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, as always, read from the bottom uh, going backwards. There are three counts that are raised uh, as causes of action in this complaint. Count one, Santos knowingly and willfully served as a straw donor for unknown persons to make contributions in the name of another to his campaign committee. OK, so that is. Uh, the $705,000 of loans from himself to his campaign um, that jumps off the page uh, as uh, it's being reported as salary and dividends from DeVolder LLC. Uh, But any kind of investigation has shown that to be just a just, just a sham, right? This does not appear to be earned income from bona fide employment, which is the language of the statute and the regulations that you need in order to be able to loan yourself, uh, you know, almost three quarters of a million dollars. So that was charge number one. Fair amount of evidence substantiating that out. Charge number two, Santos's campaign committee deliberately violated the Election Act's disclosure requirements, including falsifying its reported disbursements. And uh, I want to give you credit for that. Um, that is the hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents uh, over and over again. So. Paragraph 50. And you were, as far as I know, the first person really to delve in and notice, uh, boy, that that looks kind of fishy. I wonder if there's an under, you know, two hundred dollar trigger in New York or something. Here's what here's what the complaint alleges. And again, these are allegations, but they seem to be well substantiated allegations. Paragraph 52. During the 2022 election cycle, Santos's campaign reported 40 disbursements between one hundred and ninety nine and two hundred dollars. Okay, so all of them just under the the two hundred dollar range, thirty seven of which were all for the same exact amount, one ninety nine ninety nine. When contribution refunds and earmark contributions are excluded, all political committees reported just seventy five discrete disbursements for one ninety nine ninety nine during the twenty twenty two election cycle. In other words, Santos's campaign made approximately half of all disbursements for that up for this particular amount, which quote, is statistically implausible and strongly suggests that the Santos campaign is not accurately disclosing its disbursement. Um, and then they, you know, they list, as as you do, uh, a, a disbursement for $199.99 at the W Hotel in South Beach. Um, I, I, 
I've never stayed there, but the the complaint kind of dryly notes that even a midweek one adult one night stay in October at the W Hotel South Beach costs substantially more than one ninety nine. The hotel's lowest price room would be more than seven hundred dollars. Wow. Um, you know, the disbursement of one ninety nine ninety nine at JFK Airport for parking fee, quote, likewise makes no sense. <laughs> JFK's parking fees like those at most major airports are set in whole dollar increments inclusive of any applicable taxes. As such, someone could conceivably pay $200 for parking at JFK, but they could not conceivably pay $199.99. So uh, no no comment in there. I looked through uh, to see if there was some sort of like $200 New York State reporting requirement. Uh, if, if there is, um, it's not made part of the allegations in this com- complaint but uh but you were right to to note um <laughs> that just the extreme unlikeliness of that number and then finally count three santos illegally used campaign funds to pay for personal expenses including rent on his personal residence so and they track that down that the campaign paid sums to various uh, what looked like sham companies. Uh, one was called Cleaner One Two Three Inc. The disbursements are described as apartment rental for staff, rent or rent and rent deposit. But the address associated with each of these expenditures, 18 Juniper Place, Huntington, New York, has the location of a single family house in Long Island, New York, suburban neighborhood. And uh, another disbursement is likely payment for the same purpose. $2,600 to Russell Levinson also lists the 18 Juniper Place address and is described as apartment rental for staff. According to a report at the New York Times, with respect to the house, the 18 Juniper Place address, one neighbor said Mr. Santos himself had been living there for months and two others said that they had seen Mr. Santos and his husband coming and going. So uh, there you go. Uh, and any information in the complaint about where his company that paid him $700,000 got the $799,000 deposit from to begin with, where that came from? Uh, there there are no specific allegations, but the, the implication is that it came from other campaign donors, that it was being be, essentially being used to launder campaign donations from question mark. And, you know, the question mark is, because they they were successfully laundered, and you would need to launder because they were above the minimum, I, or or from Russia foreign governments, or, <laughs> or who knows, right? Like, I mean, seriously, uh, you, you could you could laugh and brush it off. Um, no, but, that's why I'm asking. I'm not. No, 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 no. Yet. I mean, I'm I'm sort of putting myself in the mind of a Santos defender, and I don't know whether there are any of those. Uh, but <laughs> but um, but there's a reason that we have disbursement you know, disclosure requirements. And when you do not report where the money comes from, that the only inference that I could draw is that's because if you were to report where it would come from, it would either look very, very bad or violate the law. Those are the two reasons not to disclose. And they still think that they can just hide it. (laughs) I don't know. I, I Look, this is the danger in eroding institutions right the 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 trump campaign got away with violations on a on a on a orders of magnitude more money uh that were at least this brazen uh and that's because the republicans on the federal election commission uh just voted to deadlock everything whenever trump came up and there were 
clear and obvious campaign disclosure violations. Um, and you know, they went absolutely nowhere. So, you know, if you're a, if you're following the Trump playbook, uh, which also includes a hefty amount of grift, uh, and, and outright theft, uh, uh, you know, why not? Why not say, Oh, Hey, well, you know, worst that's happens is three years from now, I have to give some of the money back, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, uh, un- the unfortunate state of our elections law at the moment. Yeah. And, and let's talk a little bit about the FEC. They really haven't been able to put anything forward or out or anything, I mean, in a very long time, which is why I'm also glad that this is being investigated at a DA and at a U.S. attorney's office level um, separately from, you know, waiting for to see what the FEC has to say about it. Um, uh, because, frankly, they've been, you know, I mean, even like really obvious crimes haven't been able to make it out of out of that uh, group, yeah. even though there's two vacancies that Biden could appoint. I don't understand why he hasn't appointed um, some, some folks into the into the FEC, given everything that's going on here. But it seems to me that uh, that the lesson should have been learned by now that if you're trying to hide from the law, don't run for office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that. Um, I it, it the level of hubris attached to George Santos uh, uh, appears to be you know potentially his undoing. Uh, and again, you know, it reminds me of one of the only other uh, high profile idiots to be. Uh, convicted under our grotesquely weak election laws, Dinesh D'Souza, right? Like right. You, you have to be dumb and arrogant and contemptuous of the government's powers to, to actually proceed against you. Which is and... actually the profile of a useful <laughs> idiot for a foreign bad actor. Wow. Shocker how that how that works. I, I, I also <laughs> want to add, as long as we are uh completely you know uh, taking a, a a warm dump on the fec which i'm in favor of uh ellen ellen weintraub has uh, she's a national treasure actively actively uh in uh dissents noted the the deadlock noted exactly what the trump administration is doing uh, had had done um and so you know she deserves uh, all of the credit of, you know, kind of running around and saying the building is on fire. And, um, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I do not want uh, our criticism because this is an area where, you know, look, we are not stinting in criticizing the Biden administration uh, for failing to act. Um, that the, the last move they made uh, was to nominate Dara Lindenbaum to replace the independent uh, Stephen Walther. And th- again, that just made no sense in that Stephen Walther was uh, a a. Th- there was no reason to replace an independent with a Republican in that seat, right? Like you could have found a non-Trump independent to fill that seat. Uh, and now it just made it harder for you uh, to, uh, to, 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 to fill the remaining seat because you still have a 3-3 deadlock at this point. And you've got to find uh, now, you know, sort of a, uh, a non-Trump independent to fill that last seat because you cannot appoint a majority of your own party and um yeah so uh fec is a mess ellen weintraub we agree national treasure so yeah and she acknowledges she's like this is i mean it's got to be one of the most frustrating uh jobs just to be in 
<laughs> to be in her shoes. So um, anyway, that is the show. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, patrons. Thanks to the listeners for listening up and uh, and and consuming what we're what we're for picking up what we're putting down. Uh, if you will. <laughs> we really appreciate you. And uh, it's going to be an interesting week of news. And I'm looking forward. I mean, that's our horse, right? This is our, we, uh, Fonnie Willis in Georgia has been who we've said will, would be the first out of the gate. Um, and uh, I, it's, it's still kind of looking that way. We don't, we'll, we'll see what Jack Smith does, but uh, I, I'm looking forward to talking uh, with you about it on the next uh, Clean Up on L45. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres. And we'll see you next week. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.